gets kind of a, we're going to give the Holy Spirit credit on bringing our minds together on using Psalm 91 as a company uh, passage. So, praise God. I know nurses and doctors and, and medical staffs so everywhere are working double time, probably even more so than that. And, and they're doing their, their job and hopefully this thing will all end up done and over with real soon. My next thought is uh, I want to thank everybody for prayer for my wife and her surgery and I think that her surgery uh, I think she's feeling better. It's a little tender. Uh, once in a while she tried to stop the door the other day which a rude young man was didn't hold the door for her and kind of slammed on her wrist but then I think it's getting better and Hopefully that will uh, heal up real soon. And then I've got a Frankenstein zipper in my neck right now. Uh, for anybody that's seen it, they know what I'm talking about. It's about eight or ten inches long, and it's got all staples in it. So, but it doesn't really hurt. It's a little uncomfortable, a little tender, in my guess. So, praise God that that's over with. On Friday, I'm supposed to get those staples out and uh, go over a pathology report, making sure there was nothing uh, more than uh, I like Homo, which is fat, nothing more than a fat tumor. So, or, uh, just a word to, uh, to the wise don't put off simple stuff like that. Get it dealt with and taken care of so you won't have a 10 inch zipper in your neck. Okay. So anyway, with that being said, let's, uh, I just give a prop for all the prayers and the ladies and whoever participated in all the food. Holy mackerel. That was so good. This church has got all the good cuts. So everybody, uh, thank you for your participation. It was, uh, we're just grateful for everybody. So anyway, let's get started. I want to try to keep this as short as I can, so I'm going to skip a little bit of my notes this morning. Uh, and as Dave mentioned earlier, we're going to have uh, a community service right after I get done speaking. And uh, for those of you that uh, are concerned, you know, like David said, we've taken all precautions necessary. And uh, when you come up to receive the elements today, I want you to uh, come and receive the elements. The elements will be served to you, okay? So you don't have to dig around and uh, possibly contaminate. We're just being as cautious as possible. So you uh, just well know that uh, the elements will be served to you. And you can go back to your seat and we'll all partake together, okay? Let's get started. Uh, last week I started a series on the blood of Jesus, uh, and it's called The Blood. Um, I've been reading a book on that, looking at the Word of God, and I'm learning a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things, just like the basics, are uh, being brought back to my remembrance, and it's... Uh, but how many know sometimes we just need those refresher courses? And I talked about that 
a little bit last week. So, um, but anyway, the idea of the Easter season coming up, we know it was all about the resurrection, but how many know that there was a, an entire week there that uh, led up to that, that is described as the Passion Week, a lot of times people talk about. And how many know our Monday probably wasn't the same as Jesus' Monday back then? Jesus had quite the Monday getting started for that week. So Passion Week is something that uh, starts running through my mind, you know, and I, I wanted to focus on one of the aspects, and that is the aspect of the, of the blood of Jesus. And when I say that, I find that the aspects of the blood of Jesus are enormous. There's several aspects that the blood of Jesus has provided for us that I don't know that we all understand. Maybe we've never known. And so today I'm just going to talk about one more of those things. Last week we talked primarily about the redemption uh, portion of what the blood of Jesus uh, has provided for us, redemption or pardon of sin, however you would like to look at it. Today we're going to talk about, and I'll probably kind of get us, try to go through some of the things I went through last week and uh, lead us into what I want to speak about today. But today it is the cleansing aspect of the blood of Jesus. This is going to be real important, especially for those that haven't uh, known the Lord for very long. Uh, you need to understand it. I needed to understand it, and I've gotten a deeper understanding since I started uh, looking into it. So, uh, anyway, in other words, in our uh, uh, blood of Jesus, we all know, was shed for our sin. And we realize that there was a penalty for the sinful state of man that could only be satisfied by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Who can all say amen to that? So in other words, in, our, in order for mankind to ever be able to approach the throne room of grace, the, approach the throne of a holy God, something had to die. Remember we talked about that last week. Something had to die. So, uh, and it wasn't like we had a desire to serve the living God until the Holy Spirit drew us into the kingdom and we yielded our heart uh, to Him. But uh, it's our act of worship that I'm talking about. We couldn't go to the throne room of God in an act of worship to Him before something had to die. Something had to shed its blood to cover our sins. So in the Old Testament, a sacrificial system was set up to satisfy that requirement. So the act of slaying a lamb then annually was instituted. Now I'm going to be perfectly honest. There is a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not going over right now about the tabernacle and the sacrificial system. It is, it is deep. Lot of information, so we don't have time to do all those things. So I'm just hitting a couple of highlights. But the act of slaying a lamb annually was instituted at the sacrificial system 
in the Old Testament, the act of killing a lamb at the altar and making an offer of blood at the mercy seat of God was carried out by the high priest. The lamb became a substitution then, and the shed blood became a substitution for the sin of people, and it was done annually. And the process was carried out by a high priest at the temple every year. I say this much to say that this entire process was complicated and it had to be done properly. Otherwise, when the high priest wanted to pass through the veil, apply the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the people, if he didn't do that entire process that he was required to do, when he passed through the veil, he would die. He would literally die. So they had a, a rope that was tied to his ankle. So in case he didn't come out in the required amount of time to make that uh, process go through, they would pull him out of the holiest of holies by his ankle. Is that right, John? That's just the basic uh, part of it. So... It had to be carried out to the last detail and done properly. Um, so all that is, uh, you know, like I said, all of that teaching is for another time. It's extremely interesting to study on how things work in the tabernacle. I just, I love to read about it and study about it. Um, just way too much information, of course, to go through. What, what I do want you to understand is that the entire sacrificial system that was set up in the Old Testament was a type or a foreshadow of what Jesus' shed blood was all about in terms of the New Testament perspective. A faith-based system in which you and I, by faith, believe that Jesus' shed blood paid the ultimate price for our sin once and for all times, abolishing the need for the Old Testament sacrificial system that was only temporary and had to be performed annually. Jesus shed blood, covers our sin from the past to the future. The sacrificial system was only temporary, but Jesus shed blood. I, I kind of came up with this thought that it was it's a perpetual thing. The shed blood of Jesus is perpetual. It goes on and on. So it says in Hebrews 9 verse 12, by his own blood, listen now, by his own blood, it wasn't by a sacrificial animal of any kind, it was his own blood, entered in once unto the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. There are uh, religions out there that still are trying to practice this sacrificial thing, um, you know, and slaying the, the lambs. Um, I could freak you out a little bit if I told you that there was probably each, at each annual uh, thing you know, sacrifice, there was about a quarter of a million lambs being slain. And that means in, in the temple then, there was probably ankle-deep blood running all over the place. So it, it was a nasty, 
nasty deal, this nasty system that Jesus, the Bible says, in Hebrews 9 and 12, went and with his own blood, he did it one time for all time's sake and abolished that uh, sacrificial system. Jesus has become our high priest and willingly shed his own blood to fulfill the requirement of reconciliation uh, of mankind to God, giving us the right to boldly approach the throne of grace ourselves in an act of worship and to be able to bring our petitions to God. We discussed last week that the blood of Christ has power and authority because life is in the blood. Life is in the blood and he, he purchased our redemption. So the blood has the power, we all know, now to redeem, number one, or pardon. It has the power to cover our sin in a permanent fashion, to terms of covering by the blood. It has the power to cover our sin in a permanent fashion. How many of you remember the scripture where it says, casting all of our sin as far as the east is from the west? So now when God looks at us, all he sees, obviously, is the shed blood of Jesus. I know that's basic for most of you. Pastor, you're not really telling me anything I don't already know. Some people may not know that yet. And some people may need to be refreshed. So the price was paid. Jesus shed blood and redeemed us and pardoned us from the penalty of sin, which was death. Eternal death, I might add. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's move on then and grab uh, some more understanding and uh, look at some more passages here. I want to share with you some other thoughts though. Because the truth of the matter is we oftentimes are satisfied with just knowing that truth, that Jesus pardoned us from our sin uh, and that we've been redeemed, there, there are people that don't want to take it any farther. They don't know that they need to take that any farther. They realize that the shed blood of Jesus, don't realize, excuse me, that the shed blood of Jesus was so much more than just pardoning our sin. So let's talk about another aspect blood of Christ, and that you may have, uh, maybe you've overlooked it, you, maybe you've never understood it, or whatever the case, but let's, if, if you will, turn to your Bibles in 1 John 1 and 9. I, I told somebody here recently, uh, two or three weeks ago, this is one of those go-to verses I always use. I've had this verse memorized for so long, it's not even funny. My go-to verse. And it says, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The King James, the King James Version is probably what I've just quoted. Okay? But it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want, to, I want us to understand something here. This verse is often used as a go-to verse, like I said, when Christians have failed. When Christians have failed. How many has ever failed and kind of slipped in and said, 
nasty words or whatever the case might be. And he got away from the fellowship of the living God. And maybe I'm so proud. I've used this verse so many times to reestablish my walk with the Lord. I've used this verse uh, that way before, and I know you've done it most of you probably have too. Can I tell you this though? That it is really the purpose is of that particular verse. Really not exactly what that verse is all about. But nevertheless, if you're going to that word, that particular passage, you're going to the word of God, hallelujah, you're going in the right direction. So let's talk about that particular verse a little bit today. The cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Numerous times in the New Testament it's mentioned that we be experiencing what the Bible talks about as a pure heart or a pure conscience is sometimes referred to a clean conscience. That we should be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That there is a cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb and we have been washed by the water of the Word. What's all that talking about? It's basically talking about a sanctification or leading to sanctification. But for, uh, for uh, instance, here this morning, if we look at Matthew 5 and 8, it's talking about having a pure heart. Blessed are those, blessed are the pure in heart. 1 Peter 1.22, uh, Peter offers us a challenge uh, this morning to love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Acts 15 and 9 describes the people of God as being cleansed or purified by their faith in God. In Titus 2.14, Jesus purified or cleansed unto himself a peculiar people. Or a peculiar people because of the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, it teaches us let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. So there is some responsibility in that particular verse for ourselves to pursue a cleansing. And we do that by getting our minds cleansed and our conscience cleansed and our hearts cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word. We continue to get our minds renewed to align with the will of God. That's what that one's talking about. But what I'm driving about here, especially when we look into the Old Testament first, that there is an inner condition of the heart of man that simply has to be changed. So, yes, when we give our heart to the Lord, our sins are dealt with, they're covered, they're uh, actually, if I remember right, one of the translations said that our sins are literally behind God. They're literally behind God, so He doesn't ever see them. They're covered by the sin, uh, by the blood of Jesus. And here's my problem. Too many are satisfied with the idea that they are free from the guilt of sin, and they don't pursue it any farther. They no longer have sin of the past held to their account, they don't realize that there's more to it than that. 
The pardoning of sin is one thing, but cleansing is another. The cleansing is another. It's subsequent to the pardoning of our sin. And there's a real blessing knowing that you are purged from the stain of sin. It's, a, it's an inner cleansing that's taking place and it begins with our minds and with our soul and, and uh, washes down through our heart. It's talking about that inner man that is within inside of us. It's an inner cleansing that begins to take place in the heart of one who puts their faith in Christ. And it's very important to understand this aspect. So this cleansing is an inward work of the Holy Spirit subsequent to the pardoning of sin. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working with the blood of Jesus to purge out all the sin stains that are left behind. Some of us don't forgive the past the way God wants us to forgive the past. He wants us to put that stuff behind us. First John 1 and 7 says that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That is sin from uh, man uh, in the beginning in the garden where we uh, uh, born into that sinful nature and that sinful condition to the fact that we may sin someday down the road. Okay? It's all sin. Everyone say, all sin. All, all sin. sin. The blood of Jesus covers all sin. That The cleansing that we're talking about in this verse today, and that we're discussing, a it's a subsequent happening to the heart and the conscience of a person who puts their faith in Christ. It goes beyond the pardon of sin. So in the Old Testament, people that were cleansed, uh, they had to go through a process of cleansing by water and cleansing by blood. And that same, and that same word in the Old Testament was connected to the purifying nature of fire as well. And I don't want to confuse you, but if you'll look into this thing, fire was oftentimes... Uh, used as a purifier. Okay, Malachi 3, 3 says, He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify or cleanse the sons of Levi. So I'm getting to a, a point or two here, so hang in there with me. But in the New Testament, that was the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, when the Bible is talking about cleansing and having a pure heart and a pure conscience, it's talking about a process or an inward purging uh, in our heart and in our mind, cleansing us and washing away all. And I love, I love this. And the Spirit just gave this to me uh, last week when I started to study this. It's washing away all of the incriminating evidence of our sin. There is no one that can uh, hold us accountable to our sin. Now the enemy uh, other people is going to say, well I know what he was like. Dan Houston was kind of a bum. 
drunken sloth, carouse, all these things. I know that kind of get what the God, if that were true, which it is. And Dan's never been that type of guy. But what I'm saying is that the world can try to hold that sin against you because of your past, what they know about you. But what does God know about you now? It's all gone. The incriminating evidence has completely been washed away by the blood of Jesus. I was the, I was the drunken bum. Okay, I was constantly uh, smoked, if you want to call it that. Soaking up suds as I used last week and worse. I said all that to say that uh, the enemy will also, in the spirit realm, in, the, in your mind, you might be alone at home or something like that, and there will be thoughts coming into your mind, and you're thinking, I'm tempted to go back into doing what I was doing. This isn't worth it. Things just aren't worth it. And trouble starts to come or whatever, and you you look you're just by nature, you tend to want to look for some sort of pleasure. <laughs> so people are tempted then to get back into their drugs and their alcohol and uh, sex and all these things outside of marriage and whatever else might come to mind. You get what I'm saying? The enemy uses your past to try to incriminate you. The thing of it is, you can stand there and say, I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. How about you? Because the enemy cannot and has not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So he cannot hold any of that against you. So if that, those thoughts are coming to you, then share with him that you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. The incriminating evidence has been washed away. There isn't even a hint of sin evident in the heart of those who have trusted in the blood of Jesus. So when we look back at our original text in 1 John 1 and 9, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. Or in other words, He can be trusted to be true to His nature and counted upon. God's not going to back out of His word. I said what I said. And I'm going to uh, completely because of the blood of Jesus and that uh, the completed work at the cross, I am completely going to forgive you. If, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. And then I love this little three-letter word. It's a conjunction, if I remember my uh, English very well. It's that word, and. And it's mentioned here two different times. He's faithful and He's just. Just, in other words, means that he has the right to forgive us of our sins. So we're talking about the pardoning side, but then there's that word and that comes in. So he dismisses and pardons our, our sin, but the word and comes in there and is a conjunction to the next phase or the next step. And I love that three-letter word. It's a conjunction that means in addition to the pardoning and the dismissal of our sins, He will cleanse us continually. If you look in the original Greek, those words and that phrase is literally talking about a continual cleansing. It's just not, it's not a once, 
uh, stop and, and you're done. Like a lot of people believe. And then they go back to that, the shed blood, in order to uh, uh, get their hearts right once again if they fall away from the Lord. He will cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness in our hearts and in our conscience. It's so important to understand that there's an inward experience that began to take place the moment you received Christ as your Savior. The experience is a process of cleansing of your conscience from the evidence of all sin in your life. I would say past sin, present sin, if, if you happen to be uh, failing right now, God's not mad at you. He still loves you. He wants you to ask Him for forgiveness, and everything's going to go well for you in your, in your spiritual walk. And it's even about future sin. Sometimes we tend to uh, fall, fall away from the, the fellowship or fall out of fellowship with God. Look at Hebrews 10, 2 and part B. We're talking about this going and this cleansing is beyond the pardon or the dismissal and the redemption of our sin. Hebrews 10, 2b says the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Don't be bringing that stuff up yourself. Some people have the tendency that I have a good self-esteem or whatever the case might be for many uh, reasons. People that, there's somebody in here I know of that's taking psychology classes that I think Rebecca knows what I'm talking about. We tend to, for whatever reason, we tend to beat ourselves up and we tend not to be able to forgive ourselves. All these kinds of things. And what we're doing is we're drumming up all of our past failures and all of our past sin and we're holding it against ourselves. And it says right here, the worshipers, you and I, uh, giving our hearts to the Lord, the worshipers, once you've been purged, should have no more conscience of sin. You should not recollect that any longer unless you're using that to be giving God glory and you're ministering to someone else. I don't recommend people to just go out and start talking about their past. I don't recommend that at all because they get in with a bunch of people and I think, you know, they're talking about the filthy things that they may have done and they tend to want to glory in all that. Don't be getting in those kinds of conversations unless you have the intention of giving God the glory for what he's delivered you from and teach someone else that if you want out of that lifestyle, this is what he's done for me and ask them if they want to uh, have a lifestyle change. So the worshipers once purged have no more conscience, conscience of sin. So what we're really saying is this, that the blood of Christ has so completely delivered you and I from guilt and the power of sin, we literally have broken free from the control of that sin in our life. We talked about that. We uh, touched on that in our 
class this morning. Romans 6.14, for sin will not rule over you. The, the, another translation says there's, uh, sin does not have the dominion over you. You don't have to yield to that. Yes, it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of pressure. If you're in a place and you've given your heart to the Lord, and you're in a place where you have to work around people that don't know the Lord, there's a lot of pressure for you to give one of the things that happened to me was uh, on Friday nights, after we got our paychecks, I was already born again. They talked me into going to the bar to cash my check and all that stuff. Before it was over with, I'd have a beer or two. God's not pleased with that. God's not pleased with that lifestyle, and that's a conviction for myself. Okay? But that's the way I, the way I believe it. Sin was pressuring me. You still have sin in this flesh. In this fleshy thing here. Sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you're under grace now. Your conscience should no longer bear witness to anything but perfect harmony and peace with God. Your conscience should no longer bear witness to anything but perfect harmony and peace with God. So if you're feeling pressure, if you're being pulled in any direction, if, if the enemy wants to uh, suck you back into the old lifestyle that you were so comfortable in, and quite honestly very good at, because I was good at it, if you're feeling those inclinations, and stop, put a stop to it right there, because the blood or the the sin does not rule over you. And how do I know that? It's because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us and is continuing to cleanse us. I like what Andrew Womack says in this book uh, that I've been reading. The power of the blood of Christ is the title. He says, the blood of Christ is ceaseless, 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 ceaselessly operative. The blood of Christ is ceaselessly operative. In other words, it's continuing. It's ongoing. So when, uh, from time to time, when we find ourselves in those positions, we find ourselves tempted by our own lust, as James puts it, we can find immediate cleansing. Remember, sin has been rendered powerless in our life. We don't have to yield to it any longer. The devil made me do it. No, we didn't. He tempted you. He tempted you. You did it yourself. Don't get into that thing. Pretty hard to do. I understand that. I'm not very good at all that stuff anymore. I'm getting too old. That's not true. I just don't want to be, after you've been in it long enough, you just, your heart just doesn't want to disappoint God. Your heart really wants nothing more than to please God and just worship Him and be so grateful that He made a lifestyle change in you. We don't have to yield to sin. But because sin reigns in our flesh, 
We can be tempted to be dragged away by our sinful desires. And if you want to read about that, read the book of James. Just remember that there is a perpetual flow of Jesus' blood for sin and uncleanness. For sin and uncleanness. There's a perpetual flow. Zechariah 13 and 1 says, On that day, on that day, it's talking about the day that Jesus surrendered his life and stretched his arms out on the cross and shed his blood for you and I. That was the day. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David. A fountain we're talking about is this perpetual fountain of Jesus, shed blood being poured out over you. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem. and verse 1. On that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away. To wash away sin and impurity. That particular verse and Jimmy played it or excuse me not Jimmy but Dave uh, played it this morning. There is a fountain blood that flowed in Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all of their guilty stains. So what I'm trying to get through to you and I this morning is that the shed blood cleanses us. We have no incriminating evidence. How many know that is a wonderful experience? We have no incriminating evidence against us anymore and we can come boldly to the throne of grace and meet with God. So this morning, like I said, that reminded me of that old song and we played it earlier. But uh, I want to close this morning with a communion service and we're going to talk a little bit. I want to be reminded that so those who are going to serve the elders this morning, if you want to go ahead and come up, I want you to be reminded of the shed blood and the blood of Jesus that was uh, broken for you and I. What it, what it purchased, go ahead and come on up, guys. Whoever's going to do that. We have the elements on one side, and we have, excuse me, the, the bread on one side, and then we have the juice on the other. Looks like to me that you need to slip on a glove there. We had a couple of them. Right. And we have we have the juice, the elements over here organized in such a way that uh, there's space in between each of the cups so you without any contaminating. It's all about this coronavirus thing, okay? So we're just trying to be 
Amen.